DJ PK and David Locke joining us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, we're going to have John Clayton on in the air in a little while to oh. talk NFL Draft, and I thought you had a Seattle connection. I thought you told me once that you actually knew him pretty well, a little bit. Yeah, pretty Quite. well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, certainly say hi to him for me. Okay. That's just Seattle crossing paths. You just couldn't help it? Yeah, I mean, we were both at KJR at the same time. I think he switched stations since. Um, so we were both on the same station um, and probably did a bunch of shows together. Um, so, you, you know, he was he was kind of on fire at ESPN at that point. Um, I've talked to him since a few times about uh, various projects we might get involved in together. So, um, yeah, please say hi to him for me. Okay, Mr. Locke. So All right, I listen Mr. to Kenny your... Ann, what do you got? What do you got for me? <laughs> I listen to your. Where are you, where are you playing plea. this? Where are you playing this week? Where are you playing this weekend, PK? Uh, I think I might go. Uh, let's see. Uh, Victory Ranch? No, nothing. Nothing up your way is open yet, is it? No, Summit County's not going to be open for a while. I don't think from my hearing. So I can't even get in. Yeah, that's right. Keep me out. It's probably good for your county and good for me. So yeah, we don't we don't this week. want people. Evidently, we're trying to do. I'm saying this tongue in cheek. I'm fully supportive. Um, I think we're trying to do the best we can to make Summit County as miserable as possible right now, so that nobody will come back to their house to visit. <laughs> well, in time, everything will be open, and we'll get up there, and it'll be fun. Uh, right. But I listened to you, I think it was on uh, with uh, Jake and Gordon, where you were talking about Rudy Gobert and his offensive uh, ability, and I agree with you to an extent. Uh, actually, I agree with you to a large extent as far as his offensive ability. But with that in mind, I still want to know from you, do you think the Jazz need a big man, rim protector, five center, whatever you want to call them, who can shoot threes? Because it doesn't look like on the roster that they have one now. So that's you know, so it's it's a weapon that you at least have in your disposal. You're saying, um, yes, not not as a as a compliment to Rudy, not as a um, as as a replacement, right? Not, not specifically as a replacement. Yes, I mean, if, if they decide he's a replacement, maybe so. But I'm not saying specifically as a replacement. I'm just saying have an opportunity to put that out on the floor if you want to in a situation. Um, I mean, I think anytime you have versatility, that's good, right? So that's um, and it, so anytime you have the possibility of, of having multiple options, um, you know, I don't know what my other choices are, so it's an easy answer to say yes, but like, you know, one, there aren't a great deal of fives that shoot that well. Um, and so this would have to be a pretty, I think, offensive-minded lineup. I mean, um, there's an interesting free agent, Alex Len, who I think will probably get paid, but he's seven feet. I think he could be taught to be a pretty good rim defender. And he's kind of learned how to shoot the three at a below average level. I don't, I don't know that that player fits your bill of what you're talking about because what you also get to is there's a difference between someone who shoots the three and someone who makes you guard them shooting the three. And the purpose of having the five shoot the three is to spread the floor and open up the floor um, so that then you can 
um, have driving lanes and have better offensive ability. Okay, so with that said, though, let me back up. And and so I understand what you're saying. Now let me back up just to be devil's advocate for our conversation and say, like, why? So right now we have Tony Bradley and Rudy Gobert, and predominantly we have Rudy Gobert. And since Jordan Clarkson's joined the team, the team is the number one offensive team in the league. It has played only, I think, three of those games against top five defenses and would have had a few more coming. So let's just assume it would have slipped and that they're the number three offensive team in the league. I don't actually know that that's true. They might have still been the number one offensive team in the league. Why do we need something offensively? We're the number one offensive team in the league. We're the number three offensive team in the league. The concept that Rudy is somehow hurting us offensively, I, I don't, I can't find that actually mathematically because since you know we've added to this roster and and spread out the four with Rudy rolling as the five, we, we've got the best offense in the league. Okay, so the goal is to have the best team in the league. So does that mean as you peruse all the numbers or just the eyeball test as you and Ron Boone watch games that the Jazz have got to get much better at the defensive end of the floor? Yeah, I mean, I think there's still an element that they have to get, that they do have to figure out what they are off uh, defensively. Um, you know, all they did in some extent was flip from being the number one defensive team and about the number 11th offensive team or lower, and then flipped it to being now the number one offensive team or close and the number, you know, 11 or 12 defensive team. This, this route gives them a much better possibility to win a playoff series. Um, you know, they could get hot shooting and beat anyone in the league on a given night. There was not a scenario last year, at least in my opinion, and I think this played out, where they could be so good defensively that they slowed someone down enough to be able to catch them with their offense. Their offense just wasn't, didn't have enough firepower, even if the defense had a good game against one of the elite teams in the league. Um, they have the p- capability now offensively to have a route where they can win a series as an underdog because they're that good offensively. Um, it's just been hard for us, I think, to understand who they are as a team because it's so it's such a flip from a year ago. But the, the margin is narrower um, defensively than it used to be, and, but the margin used to be really narrow offensively. What specifically has led to that defensive situation? Oh, I mean, I think Boyan at the four is a pretty dramatic difference um, than having Derek Favors at the four. The defense was was awfully good um, when Favors was was in. I think the league might have adjusted a little bit um, as well on just you know things that you have to do to to move the greatest defensive player in the world. Um, I'm, I would guess I haven't looked at it that our defensive numbers just aren't as good when. Rudy's on the floor by himself, um, but Jay Crowder was a probably a better defensive player than Boyan Bogdanovich. Our length, um, Ricky, you know, Mike Conley is considerably smaller than Ricky Rubio. He's you know got a lot of areas where he's got a positive, but he's you know Rubio's big for his position, long for his position. Um, we were generally long at every position, and now we're probably small at most of them. So I think there's a length um, and size issue that probably precluded us from being as good defensively as we did before. But, I mean, I have 
I'm going to go back to it, right? But on the other end, we're the best offensive team in the league since we added Jordan Clarkson. So, you know, part of that is that you have Boyan Bogdanovich and you have Mike Conley and you have Jordan Clarkson and, you know, you've, you've made a, uh, you've made, it, there's nothing wrong with doing that because you've got a benefit on the other side of it. So back to PK's original question then, what about the possibility of adding someone and making the number one offense number the number one offense by a wider margin because you do have the versatility, it's a different way to attack, it messes with teams that they gear up to play one way and then as soon as Rudy checks out the game, they put in this imaginary three point shooting five man we just whipped yeah, I mean, up one, out of I don't thin really, air. I guess I'm having a hard time grasping who that person is, so that's a little bit of a hard question for me. Yeah. Um, and the second question is, if I'm looking at the data, which I'm now going to try to pull up quickly, um, not knowing that this conversation was coming, I would think that the answer is actually, can we get better defensively in the 12 minutes a night that Rudy's not on the floor? Is a better approach for us than trying to get better offensively in those, you know, maybe it's not, you know, in those 14 minutes. Um, so I, I'm not... I'm not sure I'm buying I, I don't I don't buy that Rudy hurts us offensively. I understand that it from you know Quinn's standpoint or or someone like that, you know, coaching it that there are some things that you know, his lack of ability to take advantage of someone who switches on him and some things like that are difficult. But our offense is in the eighty first percentile to one fourteen when he's on the floor. Our defense is in the seventy seventh percentile. We're plus six point five when Rudy's on the floor this year. When Rudy's off the floor this year, which I, I don't know what's coming here, to be totally honest. Um, I haven't looked at this in at least a month, so not much longer. Um, when Rudy's off the floor this year, we're a minus 4.5. Our offense is in the 40th percentile. Our defense is in the 23rd percentile. Um, I, I think that's probably the issue is we've got to find a way in the few, tw- you know, the 12 minutes a night that, or 14 minutes a night that Rudy's off the floor to be better. Um, the defensive ratings are 114 when Rudy's off the floor this year. That's really not good. And so I think that's the issue that probably has to be fixed. Now, some of that is that Ed Davis just didn't have the bounce that he's had in, in years past when he came to us this year for whatever reason, and, and some of his defensive techniques did not match um, the defenses. But with Tony Bradley on the floor, we're even because our offense is really good, but the defense is still in the 22nd percentile and we're the last in the league enforcing turnovers with that group on the floor. So, um, I, you know, I think there's some, I, I'm, I'm going to go the other way on this conversation. I, I, I think if you're trying to fix something in the 14 minutes that Rudy's not on the floor, I'm not looking for an offensive minded stretch. I'm looking for somebody else who can protect the rim the way Milwaukee added Robin Lopez to Brooke Lopez. So when you say that group, it's not just simply Tony Bradley. Are there other, no, no. others involved that are leading to those numbers? Yeah, I mean, I think you just, you know, if you look at all of our personnel decisions that we've made, and, and I'm a proponent of this, um, so you can't sign Kawhi Leonard, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, you don't get to go sign five two-way players, right? Like, that's just not how it works. So you're building a roster and you have to have an identity in your roster. And we made a conscious effort to make an, get an offensive-minded roster, and we did a hell of a job with it. And so, yeah, Jordan Clarkson's not a – he battles. He puts out a pretty darn good effort. Um, but he's not – you know, he's not an elite defensive player. Um, you know, what's interesting, by the way, on Tony Bradley, that's probably worth noting and probably worth digging into a little bit more, and I just – 
had, wasn't prepared for this. You actually look at the two most commonly used lineups that involve Tony Bradley, and the defense is really good. Um, in fact, let me just kind of run one or two filters and get Jeff Green off the floor with Tony Bradley and see what happens here. Because I actually think that looking at the season-long numbers on Tony Bradley actually might uh, be faulty. Actually, that flipped the other way. So, no, I mean, the offense is great. With Tony Bradley on the floor and no Ed Davis and no Dante and no Jeff Green, so this is when Jordan Clarkson's on the floor with Joe Ingles and George Niang and either Donovan or um, or uh, Mike running it. Um, the, the offense is great. Like that, that group is in the 94th percentile of all offenses. It's just not very good defensively. Now, interestingly, it's not very good defensively when Emmanuel Moutier is in the game instead of from my quick scan here. Um, if I take Moutier off the floor, it doesn't get much. But no, defense just, for whatever reason, the, the two primary lineups, the defense is good, and every secondary lineup, it's not. So the defense is not very good in those lineups, but the offense is great. So I would still hold to kind of what I'm saying, which is, um, and I apologize for kind of bouncing around there, but I, it's not a com- thought I had before you guys brought it up. So I'd have to try to, you know, and I don't like to just do it off the top of my head. I'd like to back it up. So the numbers back up what my instinct is, which is if I'm trying to adjust something that we're doing defense with the second unit, it is not an adjustment that we're making to add a stretch five. Our offense is fabulous with that group on the floor. It's a, the defense has not been great. But again, you know, I don't look, I don't think a lot of people think Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, George Niang, Tony Bradley, and either Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell are players who are defensively inclined and are elite level defensive players. So, um, with that in mind, I think that's the roster you've built, and I think that's great. Okay, so uh, this is homework for next week. So, you have something to do because you got a lot of free time in your hands and you're probably driving your family nuts. So, here's a project. Are you ready? Sure. Let's assume that the NBA is going to come back and play. Let's assume that whole everybody goes to one city Vegas model works, right? And they take over two courts and hotels or UNLV or both or whatever they do. Let's assume that they want to play as many games as possible. There's been talk about shortening shortening some early playoff series to best of five and maybe skipping the rest of the regular season. But let's assume they want to play those regular season games put them all on the sports regionals, finish those TV packages out, make as much money as possible, and that they want to play the full seven. That means it could be a pretty congested schedule, and they won't have travel to account for if they're all in one city. Which teams would benefit from a – and you can just tell us off the top of your head now, but we'll let you check it out and back it up next week. Which teams would benefit – have a deeper roster and could handle a congested schedule if they try to put in as many games as possible into whatever short time frame that they are trying to wedge these games into. So the interesting thing on this, if we do do this, is home court advantage is not going to matter. Right. And so I can't imagine Nikola Jokic is playing every single one of these games. Right? Particularly coming back from time off. So if you're one of the good teams... And since we're probably not playing 82, seven of the eight teams, if not eight of the eight teams in the West, know they're making the playoffs and just about the same in the East. I think you're playing, I think you're almost playing an A roster and a B roster early on um, before you put your roster together. Um, So, you know, you're playing Mike Conley one night and Donovan the next, and maybe you're playing Rudy one night and Tony the next, and 
you're you're working your roster in a unique manner uh, to get players healthy. I haven't talked to anyone about this. I'm just totally making this up. But um, when they're, you know, the only thing you'd be playing for is whether you're trying to alter your seating in a way so that you, you know, avoid a team you don't want to see. Denver knows how to do that well. Um, and so that would be the only thing because you don't really care whether you're the four or five or six seed because it's really being being three, four, five, or six would now be the, the exact same. You'd like to avoid the Lakers and Clippers. Um, but otherwise, you're just playing that same group of teams and there's no home court advantage. So I think you just see a lot of resting. Do you know, would you be allowed to broadcast those games? I have not the slightest clue. Early leader. I, mean, I, would, hope, I would hope so. I mean, you need to have the local. You need to have local broadcasting. However, you're going to get it done. Um, you need to have the local flavor on the broadcast. You can't do this and have. Um, I, I mean, I. You can, but I think it would be a really bad idea to have a national broadcast coming out of every single one of these games. Um, so that your fan doesn't feel any connection to the people that they. You know they're connected to. I, I think what we need to bring back, and I was actually really fortunate to be on a call with Danny Meyer, the great restaurateur who, you know, probably most people know him for Shake Shack, but he also has created kind of six or seven of the best restaurants in New York the other day. And I thought he was really interesting when he was talking about the fact that, you know, what we're looking for as, as people is we're looking for safety and we're looking for love and we're looking for collectivity. I, I think it's really important if sports is going to come back, we do need to have that collective entity and we're not going to be able to do it by being in the building together. So what are the other ways that we as a group can feel a togetherness rooting for our team while social distancing? And so I think having Craig Bowler, Jack and Thurl Bailey and Matt Harpering, you know, bringing you the ball game is really an important aspect of that. That's your guys and your people and you're connected and having KK on the sidelines. And I think that's a really important aspect of this, if it's possible, is to give the fans that, you know, that feeling again. And, um, and hopefully there's an aspect that Ron and I bring it to you on radio as well. So um, I do think that that anything that can kind of bring that collectivity um, is super important. I'm very, very disappointed in the two of you today, though. Well, I have another me thought too. on the whole media stuff, but uh, I'm pretty disappointed in me, too. I'm not bringing the energy on a Friday like it I should. mean, we won a championship last night. <laughs> Mike Conley we salvaged a championship last night. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Salva- I mean, we won a championship last night, and not even a mention. Well, we were going to finish on a high note with that, David. I mean, you you know, you kind of preempted this here, as you tend to do. What burying the lead? Nope. Ending on a high note, Dave. Besides, we're about the team, and that was an individual honor, Dave. So those are secondary. Well, we're social distancing, so maybe we should be about individual honors and WNBA <laughs> draft today. PK already mentioned that. We're there. Yeah, just thought I'd point out. Are you yeah. excited for are you excited for the last dance this weekend? Uh excited is too strong. I, I would go with curious. Uh watching the ten part Jordan documentary. I want to see how many young versions of our former self uh, wander into the screen during the NBA Finals. <laughs> I think it's inevitable that some Salt Lake media is going to end up on TV. Who was standing where or asked what question they used from a press conference, I have no idea. I have no clue. But I don't know 
uh, in a 10-part series, I'm thinking there's a lot of time on the finals. So, you know, I don't know if Brad Rock's going to pop up or if PK is or if you are or if Booner is, but, you know, I figure somebody is along the way. So I interviewed Ben Golliver this week who had a preview edition um, and had seen eight of the ten episodes, and Mm -hmm. he says it's pretty great. Good. Well, they had unbelievable access, and and I think a lot of us are suckers for that kind of stuff. We we love watching NFL films when they have the video with the winning coach addressing the team and everyone's pumped up in the locker room. We rarely see the losing coach when everyone's pissed and there's some player raging in the locker room. I love I love those, but we don't get to see those. I was watching uh, uh, a football life on uh, now I'm blanking on the guy's name, the Patriots linebacker, and he was talking about how Teddy Bruschi. No, um, USC guy, um, Willie McGinnis. Thank you, Willie McGinnis. Yes, nice. And Willie, it was very good. It was very well done. He's a very interesting guy. He's a great interview. And he was talking about how he went in and trashed the team after they lost a playoff game to the Steelers, 7-6, to six, the Pete Carroll era. They'd been to the Super Bowl, and he'd had a taste of it, although they lost. And uh, he loved Parcells, and Parcells took off. And Carroll's there, and they lost. And Carroll's like, it's okay, guys. And the guys are like, yeah, it's okay. And he didn't think it was okay. And he snapped on the team. And, and he admitted on camera, he says, I lost it. It was over the top. And they said, do you regret it? He goes, no, I didn't regret it at all. It was totally over the top, but I would do it again. As a matter of fact, I did do it again. I didn't regret it any time I did it. <laughs> it was awesome. Like, great. Right. And so what I wanted was, well, bust out the video. Do you not go? I guess maybe they just don't go into the losing locker room so they don't have it. We've all seen the game ball awarded multiple times. I want to see Willie screaming at his teammates about, you guys got bad attitudes. Think like a winner. Be pissed. Let this drive you all through the offseason. We're coming back next year and we're taking this thing by the throat. It's not okay. <laughs> I've seen my team lose in the playoffs. It's not okay. You can get a little cranky. I don't mind that. Let me see it. Yeah. You're a beautiful human being. I try. All right, David. We will uh, talk to you again next week. Thanks for coming on with us. I, and by the way, right. I think you will be broadcasting because that uh, connectivity thing you talk about goes hand in hand with the local sponsor reads and mentions and logos, which I think they'll want to take care of. But I wouldn't be surprised if you end up broadcasting off a monitor because they are going to try to minimize any chance of a positive test for any player. So the more they can keep everybody away, it would not shock me if you were in Utah uh, calling it off a monitor. We'll see. Yep, we will see. All right, thanks, David. See you. David Locke, DJ and PK. David Locke's old Seattle radio partner in crime, John Clayton. You know him from ESPN. He's on 710 ESPN in Seattle, and he writes for the Washington Post as a contributing columnist. He's going to join us coming up at 9 o'clock. We'll talk NFL Draft with him, DJ and PK. Brought to you in part by Action Plumbing. Call Action for your plumbing, heating, air, and electrical needs. Call 801-833-3333 or go to actionplumbing.net. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Dirk Face or Deseret News. Draft-wise, kind of give us your thought on how many Utah players you could see being drafted. You know, that's a good question because, I mean, it looks like it's obviously going to be a banner year for the years as far as uh, getting guys drafted. You know, it's uh, probably not unreasonable to think that there could be as many as 10. And as crazy as it sounds, I mean, a dozen youths could end up in NFL camps this fall if we have football, obviously. But, uh, you know, as far as 
a pecking order. Jalen Johnson looks like the the first guy that'll go. Bradley and I, Lucky Foe, too, are right up there. So it could be a real good year for the years. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Deseret News with a story, PK, maybe other places too, but I just saw it uh, rolling through Twitter the, uh, this morning. I saw the link. The curtains will be closed for most Utah basketball games next year under a new plan intended to help the youth's competitive advantage and improve the fan experience at the 50-year-old John M. Huntsman Center. There are about 400 season ticket holders who sat above the aisle. That's about where the curtain falls. And they're going to move them down in the last five or six rows of the uh, – of the lower concourse there. Uh, the Utes had about 6,000 season tickets. The, they'll have about 8,500 seats available. They announced some big crowds this year. It goes into it in the Deseret News story that you know they announced 13,000 or- for Oregon, but they had 8,600 scanned tickets. So that's, uh, what, 4,500 no-shows? So... They go into a, uh, a smaller setup, and I remember we were doing a thing on football, and you were saying how, this is a few years ago, Chris Hill loves to talk about all the stadiums are downsizing, right? ASU's going to a smaller stadium, Stanford's going to a smaller stadium on down the line. And in this yeah. story, they talk about all the, uh, the Big 12. Uh, Texas is going from a 16,500-seat arena to 10,000. Baylor's going from 10,000 to 7,000. Other people are, are downgrading the size of their arena, too. You basketball, it's not what it used to be. They've been to the NCAA tournament three times in the last 15 years, so obviously interest is going to wane when you don't win as much. Wow. (laughs) If we had NBA playoffs, we wouldn't be talking about this, PK. But we don't have NBA playoffs. (laughs) No, I think it's it's worth talking about, though. Uh, It's a couple of things there. I don't think you could just put it on the fact that the – the team isn't as good as it's supposed to be uh, because people aren't going to as many games as they used to, uh, whatever those reasons may be. And uh, the HD is so good now to watch the games. Uh, that's, that's something. And there's all sorts of yeah. reasons. I don't think you could just single out this is the reason. But I do think that... This is a tradition-rich basketball program. There's just no doubt about it. It clearly, in my mind, historically, is certainly one of the top five in the West. Uh, and, you know, I go back. It, it's funny. I meant to tell you this, and I, it's been on my – I haven't told you it for a month now. But the last media session that the Utes had in advance of the game – was uh, the Tuesday in Vegas before they lost, who they lose to Oregon State, kid hit the three at the at the buzzer basically, and they lost. And so it, the the last Tuesday before was I'm down in Vegas, right? BYU the night before they lose to St. Mary's. I go to the thing, and uh, we're standing in the lobby because they're in the gym, and I'm standing next to uh, your guy Adam from Channel Two. Adam McLean. Yeah, we're talking, you know, and I consider him, a, you know, he's a casual friend of mine, and so I talk to him whenever I see him. And the the sports information guy comes up, and he and he has no idea who I am, right? And so Adam tells him who I am, and 
and then the, the Tribune guy was there, and these guys are all new. I think they're literally in their first year. <clears throat> and I said, uh, yeah, you know, I was, uh, I was there in the glory years in the 90s. I worked for the Tribune, and I was the beat guy, so I was there every day and all that stuff. And those guys looked at me like I was talking about Ar- Arnie Farron's days. <laughs> they, they just... <laughs> That far removed. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's yeah, true, though. <laughs> I might as well have been talking about the 40s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Me and Wat Makusaka, however you say his name. You know, man, he was a great guy. <laughs> Wat Misaka. Let's be clear. <laughs> you know, it's that, I just the reaction I got from those guys. Like, I mean, those were the glory years, man. I was at the Final Four. I was at all these NCAA tournaments. I mean, going the, the covering the Utes on the road was incredible. Every building was jam packed, and it was. Majerus was coming to town. He was a lightning rod. You love him, hate him. Controversial figure. You know all. All these NBA guys, Van Horn and Miller and on and on. I mean, we all know the story, right? And these guys looked at me like a blank stare. Like, you know, geez, man, how'd you file your story with those typewriters? <laughs> <laughs> I know, but but it's a problem because they do have this awesome history. And I think most programs trade on it and they don't seem to embrace it. You know, there are, there are plenty of ex-players in town from different eras, but they are not often uh, celebrated around the program, talking about it. Now they have Jimmy Soto on the radio. You know, he's a former player. He played for Majerus kind of before the Majerus glory days. We thought they were the glory days at the time. I mean, he played on the Sweet 16 team. He played on, I think he was on the team that went to the NIT Final Four. Uh, yeah, he was. So it's, it's not right before like he, I got there. Yeah, he didn't play on bad teams. He played on good teams. He played with Josh Grant. I think Josh Grant, well, I know Josh Grant's still in town. I think he still works up at the U. I know he did for a while. Uh, but not not around you know the basketball. But you just don't you know you're you're more likely to see an ex jazz player at a jazz game than you are to see an ex Ute player featured at a Ute game. And so I think you know it, I mean it's easy because I'm sitting on the outside and all we do is second guess. But it just seems odd that with so many ex players available, I mean we could probably name ten of them who could make themselves available. Pretty quickly, even if they don't live in town, someone like Pace is still loosely associated with Utah. If we, if we ask Pace to come on the radio, he does. Keith Van Horn lives in Colorado, but he tweets about the Utes all the time. You know, if you wanted to bring him back once a year to sign autographs, somehow that could be worked out. And so, a lot of the season ticket holders, I think, do remember the '90s. You know, they grew up with those teams, and a lot of the ex-season ticket holders who used to fill the seats that will now be behind the curtain. I think they remember the 90s. Now, you're right. To someone who's 30 years old, I mean, you talk about the 90s. Well, then they were like eight. I mean, maybe they remember the Final Four. But at eight, maybe they weren't a sports fan yet. Maybe they didn't get into it until they were, you know, 12 or 15. So it is kind of receding over the hill a little bit, you know, and and so I get that. But there's plenty of people who are 40 years old who could be buying season tickets and going to games, and they don't feel the link. And when you draw that blank look from somebody, whether it's somebody who covers the team or somebody who's supposed to be in PR promoting the team, I mean, I think the biggest problem is they're not going to the NCAA tournament. If they were still going to the NCAA tournament, I think the place would be full. You know, they had a great tradition. They had a great fan base. It's 15 years. It's three coaches. And they've missed the tourney 12 times in 15 years. And that is 
the history of basketball, and it's not just a Rick Majerus thing. You can go back to Jerry Pym. You can go back to Jack Gardner. You know, and you can go all the way back to Watt and Arnie if you want. You know, in the forties. I mean, they go to the NCAA tournaments. The banners are hanging up there, and you see them. You know, and they've done it every decade. Now, for a decade and a half, they've only done it a little bit. They've had one Sweet 16 team since 05. Majerus left in 04. They went Sweet 16 in Giacoletti's first year with largely Majerus's players, one of whom had quit and one of whom was about to quit. And Giacoletti, to his credit, got the two of them back, Mark Jackson and Andrew Bogut, and they went Sweet 16. But since that, that's 15 years, and they've had one Sweet 16 team. And they've lost four in a row. I mean, people, I think, really had their hopes up with Larry. It looked like his first five years were trending. They were trending right. They were trending properly. You know, you knew it was going to be hard at the start. And then they got a little better. And then they had a couple NCAA teams, won three games, went to a Sweet 16. Man, these last four years, they've been a punch to the gut. I mean, it's just gone the wrong way. Fast. And, and, And the thing is, every year seems to be a little worse than the one before. I mean, the record keeps going backwards. They're not getting closer. They were further away. They were barely a 500 team this year. Yeah, and so I guess that's what you need to do. But it's just, uh, to me, in a moment of complete honesty, when when I got off that beat, I haven't been back that much. Uh, So my memories really haven't changed They've stayed the same in terms of that. Man, I was used to New Mexico coming in, and the place was rocking, and Tim Duncan coming in. And, you know, the Jazz were all that, and they're always all that. But Ute basketball in the winter was at least in the ballpark, and people were so excited. So to see them basically wave the white flag on attendance it, it, I don't want to say it's shocking because I think it the issues that plague or surround, maybe plague isn't the right word, but the issues that surround or are involving the University of Utah basketball program, it's not like it's isolated to the U of U. They're not the only ones dealing with transfers. They're not the only ones dealing with declining attendance. You know what I mean? So I don't want to just single these guys out and say this program is just in shambles because I think some of the issues are across the board. And that, But you're right about the winning, though, as far as, you know, and I'm expecting them to be a lot better next year I, I i still have faith in larry's ability to put a program out there because i saw what he did when he took over and he built that thing and he did get them in the sweet 16 and the arrow was pointing up all the way and so i believe that he can do it now this season is going to be a big season for him Hopefully we have the season, but it's going to be a big season for him to get the program going where it needs to be. But I still think he can do it. We've debated that, you and I, back and forth. And I want to give him this opportunity to see this thing through next season. Uh, but to, to see that they're not winning, and that leads to it. You know, Hurley down there at ASU, that, that program has sucked for for literally my entire adult life and they had in the activity center it's uh somebody sponsors it now wells fargo or somebody uh they put up a wall they put up a literal so if you walked into the arena it wasn't 
curtained off. It literally was cement walled off. And I used to see, man, they would they would announce a sellout, and it would be like eighty five hundred. And I used to think, oh, wait a second, man. Right, I know. And I'd been in that place. Me too. I've been a, there too. A time or two, not yeah. just for basketball. A lot of concerts were there. In fact, I went to way way more concerts than I went to basketball. Uh, and some other stuff that I had been in there that the thing was used for, and I'm thinking that's what did I did I miss? Did, am I not remember? They sh- that, that thing held more than eighty five hundred. Well, what the, what I didn't know is they literally cement walled off the top, and when Hurley's got it going a little bit, and so they took the walls down. So then, then that's when I, re- I heard about it. Oh, okay, that's why they were saying 8,500. It was a sellout when I knew they had way more, but they didn't curtain it off. They walled it off. And then they took the walls down because the team got better and people were more excited about going to the games because the team is better. And I do think that, you know, attendance is down. But next year, if they're vying for not just top half of the division, uh, the conference, because that doesn't necessarily get mean you into anything. the tournament. Yeah, I translate. think that this year, top four would have gotten you into the tournament because the conference was decent this year. But if they're vying for a, a strong contention in February for an NCAA berth, people will come back because they're out there and they want this program to be good. And so maybe the curtains is a good idea as opposed to a cement wall because then you can take the curtains down. Uh, I approve of the curtains over the cement wall 1,000%. I don't really approve of the curtains, but it's the hand they've got with how good the team has been and the enthusiasm in the community. And I get some of the other arguments because there is something to be said. Certainly NFL has, and the NFL is a beast, and the NFL has fought, you know, HDTV because, you know, it's, it's convenient, it's easy, it's high quality. Why go fight the crowds and pay the expensive prices? But sports is so important here. The Jazz, the Utes, and the Cougars are so embedded in the community here. Look at Utah football. Okay, those games are more accessible on TV because they've been good. They've been playing on Fox and ESPN and ESPN2 and FS1. They've been staying off the Pac-12 network. A lot of people don't have the Pac-12 network. The Utes are playing games that are literally not available on TV to a big chunk of the market. And that chunk of the market has complained about it nonstop for a decade. So it's not just the HDTV, because Utah Gymnastics is on TV more than ever, and there's still 15,000 people showing up. Utah football is very accessible on TV, and we still get emails. Even when we don't believe it's sold out, we get emails that say it's sold out. And we get emails that say gymnastics has the best attendance of any women's program in the country, and people aren't going to basketball games. So I don't want to completely dismiss 80-inch TVs, but it doesn't matter how good your TV is if they're playing on the Pac-12 network, and they play a lot of games on the Pac-12 network. So it really comes back to the winning, and the winning isn't a number of wins, and it isn't a place in the conference. Winning to Utah basketball fans, to the 40- and 50-year-old fans who, should, who have disposable income, who should be buying those tickets, winning means being in the NCAA tournament. It's, it's not a number. It's not anything else. And this year, they could have been sixth in the conference and made the tournament. You know, in another year, they've been fourth, yeah. and it hasn't been good enough because of the exactly. relative strength of the conference. And next year, they're way early projections, but the early projections are that the league's going to be pretty good next year. It should be a four-bid league for sure, 
and then let's see how it plays out. Maybe it'll be five, six, or seven. I don't think it's supposed to be a two-bid league next year. You know, that's the Pac-12 in a down year. This shouldn't be a down year. There should be some teams. And the thing is, you always talk about the Lobos come to town, and that's going to fill the arena. Wyoming's going to come to town. BYU's going to come to town. Well, when you've got Arizona, UCLA, and Oregon in your league, you got three teams that ought to fill the arena. Those should all be big games. You know, and, and they're going to this new 20-team thing, which I think is great. Get rid of two of the non-league. They're going to play 20-league games instead of 18. They're adding yeah. two more conference games. And so you can lose two of these games that people complain about and the scheduling isn't good enough, but it's hard because everybody's got an agenda. Well, play two conference games, take that off the table. Now, maybe they'll end up being two teams further down the conference, but I'd rather watch a team from the bottom half of the conference than watch you know, them truck in somebody where you know they're going to win by 30. Oh, for sure. All right. And, and even if they win that conference game by 30, I'd rather see that. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. It is time now to talk about whatever PK wants to talk about, and PK wants to talk about Quarantine Quinn. <laughs> we haven't seen Quinn Snyder in a while. We got to see him during horse. He made a, a brief taped uh, appeal message of support for Mike Conley. Yes, he did. And so I'm watching that with my wife, and she said, I don't think I've ever seen Quinn Snyder look better. <laughs> <laughs> now, he's a little disheveled. Uh, you know, he had some facial hair. But you see him in the games, and and he looks malnourished. He looks stressed. <laughs> these guys, what they go through, you know, these games, it's just uh, their insides are churning a, a lot of the time. And here he was, not in that situation. You know, he was relaxed. He he looked healthy. He looked kicked back. And she said, I've never seen him look better. <laughs> it got me to thinking. Now, when you saw Quinn Snyder, if you watched that, which I did, and, and he had that little tape message for uh, Mike Conley doing the horse competition, he did look pretty good. He looked relaxed. And, man, I wish there would be a way that these guys wouldn't feel the weight of the world, but that's what coaches feel a lot of the time. They feel so stressed, and they can't uh, – they, they just can't even think straight sometimes. I, I can recall – uh, talking to a coach, a football coach, the season ended, and uh, I think they won their last game, but they didn't have the season that they wanted to have. And so it was probably like six, seven hours after the game was over. And I'm talking to the coach, and he's just saying, I'm just so drained. I got nothing. I can't. I can barely even talk to you because we're going back and forth, and we're, you know I'm trying to lighten the the the, the mood a little bit because I know it was a stressful situation, and so I'm trying to have some fun with them, and we're throwing some song lyrics back and forth, and 
He's I got I got nothing. I I just I can't even think right now. And this was this was literally at least five hours after the game ended. Uh, but the, the amount of stress and pressure that these guys put on themselves, and I guess we too, we being all of us, you know, fans and whatnot, uh, these guys just really, really feel it. And yeah, I know they get paid a ton of money. I understand all that stuff. But it was good to see Quinn in a relaxed environment and maybe to be more of himself because when you do those interviews, either before the game or after the game or at a shoot around practice you know they're so intense and focused and whatnot and i haven't been around quinn snyder a lot but there's been a couple times that i've talked to him uh just off to the side and yeah he is a relaxed dude and you can have good conversation but they just just i don't think we even myself who has been there next to these guys so to speak i don't think i can fully comprehend the amount of pressure that these guys have on themselves. So I think that's why you go with the, uh, and you don't like it, you know, the cliche, we put more pressure on ourselves. Now, the negative argument of that is, yeah, well, we'll fire you and you won't fire you. <laughs> so there is that. But if you yeah. set that aside, I think they do put a lot of pressure on themselves. And I think the reason Quinn looked so much better is he's probably eating more and sleeping more. And there you go. And and there you go. It's not very complicated, people. I don't think he eats well, and I'm really sure he doesn't sleep much. I'm probably 95% sure on the sleep, and I'm probably about 65% sure on on the food. But I think that coaches don't take care of themselves. And they either eat too much, they eat too little, or they eat too little of the healthy stuff, and they eat a lot of the stuff that's just handy, but isn't that healthy? You know, too many carbs, too much soda, that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, there's, there's a story I, I can't. I, I don't Stop think describing I can, my appetite. <laughs> but in the summer, we all know Urban's wired tight. In the summer, Urban told me, and it was odd that he told me this, but he told me it hurts to go to the bathroom, and. He's, he's walking out of there with a, a cup of coffee. And I'm thinking, you're dehydrated beyond belief, dude. You just don't drink water. You're another coach, and the diet's just jacked up. And, you know, some of these coaches, and I know they're, I know they're basketball coaches and football coaches, so, it, you know, you don't want to – you know, it's not you, – you know, you're not a brain surgeon, right? You're, you're not working for NASA. But despite that, I think we're getting to the point here where there are – there's a lot of money – and there's a lot of balls to juggle, and it attracts some highly intelligent people. And I think one thing that highly intelligent people really struggle with is they can't turn off their brain and they can't sleep. And I think, I think that's a common problem in the coaching profession, not just with head coaches that you know, but with assistant coaches working their way up. And I just think their sleep patterns are all jacked up. And when I saw Quinn Snyder, on, on that horse contest with uh, Connolly last night, I just thought, I'll bet he's sleeping six hours now. I don't know that he's sleeping eight like he ought to, but he's not sleeping three and four like he does, you know, on the road, plane trips, you're getting in a hotel late. And I'm just sure he's not sleeping in those situations. And it just, over the course of the season, it wears you out. Yeah, I guess it does. And uh, especially when you have high expectations. Uh, when they first got good, when they signed uh, Diao and, and Joe Johnson and 
who else? There was some other player that they had there that they brought in. They be, they became a, somewhat of a veteran team, uh, George Hill, and they became a veteran team pretty quick after they had been young for so long. And so it was at, just at the end of uh, uh, the uh, media day, and I happened to be in the gym portion uh, alone with, uh, with Coach Schneider, and he says to me, uh, man, we're going to give you something to good – good to talk about this year and i looked at him yeah you, you're thinking it's gonna be a good season he says well i don't know but if it's good that's going to give you something to talk about but now that we have these expectations if it's bad that's going <laughs> to give you something to talk about <laughs> after you know when they were building what was that yep. his, was that his third season yeah they'd been and building so i thought yeah brought in yeah. veterans I thought, you know with the first couple seasons you, you didn't have a whole lot of expectation you know, it would be like when Larry Kostobiak took over the Utes. You know, we weren't going to crack on them for losing some games. I mean, obviously they were going to lose some games. And uh, they needed to build a little bit there. And so I thought about, yeah, you're right. And uh, either way, we're going to have more because of the expectations. So once you have those expectations, uh, that in just increases the pressure. And these, these guys do put so much pressure on themselves that uh, – it's impossible to avoid, but I, th- I think Quinn should grow some facial hair and, and let him coach in jeans. Maybe maybe that would be a little more relaxed atmosphere. You know what I mean? Z- Instead of having these suits on all the time well, and looking like they're so official. People are weighing in now. Quinn, this is from Jill, who you've met, former Channel 2 intern, huge jazz fan, huge Ute fan. Jill says, yeah, Quinn looked so much better. She gave it four O's on so. His hair looked natural and better than when he slicks it back. So she, she goes right to the hair. It's too much product in the hair. I don't know if Quinn cares what Jill thinks, but, you know, that's what Jill thinks. Well, I find that interesting now. We've got a couple of females who are uh, at least uh, casual, if not intense, sports fans, and they're both saying the exact same thing, uh, and they notice that. Yeah, make it three. My wife thinks that he always looks not healthy. She will routinely come. He doesn't look good. He doesn't look okay, healthy. Did she, did she see him last night? She did not because I was watching at work, so she wasn't. I don't okay. think she saw it. So, but she comments, you know, she usually, even if she's not watching the game closely, you know, she knows how the season is going and how games are going and she'll ask me and she'll walk through the room and the game will be on and she'll watch for a couple minutes. So, yeah, she'll, uh, she's like, yeah, he didn't look healthy. I'm like, yeah, he's stressed. I don't think he sleeps. All right. DJ PK, John Clayton is coming up next to talk NFL draft. Stay with us.